values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Yesterday, the President of the United States laid out a plan for some changes in policy at the border that he believes will alleviate some of the issues at the border. Also said he's going to visit the border. So joining us right now is the President of the National Border Patrol Council, Brandon Judd. Brandon, welcome back. It's good to be with you. Thank you. Let's uh, let's talk about, with a, first of all, the president's comments on some changes in policy at the border. When you heard what he had to say, did you agree with any of what he had to say? Do you disagree with it? Do you think it's going to be helpful? So the vast majority of what he said is just repackaging the, the, the original six pillars that he came up with that, that failed miserably. Um, there is one thing that, that DHS later came out and, and released. They said that they're going to implement a rule that requires people to claim asylum in the first safe third country that they come to. If they actually implement that, that will be a game changer. The question is, is are they going to do it? And, and let's look at the, let's look at the evidence that we have. Um, we know that the president said that he was going to fill in the gaps in Yuma, the, the, the gaps in the wall in Yuma. He said that he was going to do that. He did it right before the, the midterm election. Um, we believe that he, he did that to help um, um, Senator Kelly. But then he files a lawsuit and, and forces Arizona, um, um, Governor Ducey to take down the containers when all he did was fill in the gaps that the president said he was going to fill in anyway. So it strictly comes down to does he actually implement it? Um, what is the execution? And if he, if it's, if he implements it and executes it, it will be a game changer. Nothing else in, in what they put out um, will do anything um, to change what's going on on the border. That one thing will do it. He talked about funding and he talked about more agents, more CBP, more ICE agents and more uh, assets matter. at the border. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. If, if you do not have the right policy, if you don't have the right programs, if you don't have the right oper- operations, it doesn't matter how many agents. We could line the entire southwest border, 2,000 miles of southwest border, and we could line it up agents holding hands. If we continue to release people, if all people have to do is put one foot in the United States and I have to take them in custody and they ultimately get released, they're going to continue to come. It doesn't matter how many agents. You have to have the proper programs, operations, and policies in place. Once you have that in place, then you can evaluate what do your personnel needs to be. You have to put, you, you can't put the, the cart before the horse. You've got to go step by step, um, go from A to B, not A to Z. Well, do you anticipate a conversation or have you been told you are going to or someone in, you know, in your group having a conversation with the president when he is in at the border? No, one of the things that this president has always done is he, he doesn't speak with people that disagree with him. He just absolutely doesn't do it. Um, and because I have vehemently disagreed with what he has done on the, on the border to this point and, and provide, and I provide the evidence, um, and all the facts to back it up because of that there's no way in the world he's going to, he's going to speak with me. Um, I have had multiple conversations with Secretary Mayorkas, um, discussing what needs to be done. Unfortunately, for the first two years, they just refused to do it. Now, what's funny is, is one of the very first conversations that I talked to him about was you need to implement the safe third country. One of the very first things. Two years later, now they're doing it. That's how we know this is politics. What we know is that they're getting ready to ramp up to, to run again for president of the United States. They know that 2024 is coming very, very quickly. They know that this issue is very, very important to the American people. So they shut it down now, but they don't actually pass legislation because if they shut it down now, I mean, all we have to do is look at what Obama did. Obama was very good on the border for his first term. He was horrible 
when he was a lame duck president. He was horrible um, in his second term. So they shut it down now, get through the election, and then they just drop that rule um, after they get through the election. Brandon Judd is joining us. He's the president of the National Border Patrol Council. Um, what is the – I'm sure you don't know the entire itinerary, but when the president comes, he's coming to El Paso. What do you think is going to be different about this visit and when the vice president was there what was basically a photo op? I think it's still going to be a photo op. Um, I, I feel he, he's just going to um, restate the same points that he made yesterday um, in his press conference. Uh, he might talk about the safe third country rule, um, but he's just going to restate it. Uh, again, what we want to see is we want to see people that actually want change. When, you, when we look at what President Trump did um, in 2019, we got to remember that 2019 was a very, very bad year for illegal immigration. We had uh, our illegal immigration numbers were sky high. So what he did was he actually came down the border. Mike Pence came down to the border. They saw what needed to be done, and they implemented the policies that were necessary. That's what we want to see. This president isn't coming down on his own accord. He's coming down because this is political. He knows that he's getting ready to run again in 24. He's got to get this issue under control. Otherwise, this is going to be an issue that's going to draw people to the polls. So when you look at the uh, let's go back to the things the president had to say yesterday, a lot of it had to do with funding. Are you saying that there isn't a need for additional funding? Or are you saying it doesn't matter unless there's a policy policy change? Well, you, you, you have to have the policy first. Uh, uh, again, we, what we don't want to do is we don't want to throw money into a black hole. Um, and that's what we have done too, too often. What you do is you come up with the policy first, come up with the programs, come up with the operations. Once you have those programs and operations in place, then you can evaluate how much money um, is, is needed. Otherwise, all you're doing is is throwing down the black hole. And the last thing that I want is I do not want the American people to have to shoulder the burden um, of this issue. Let's get the proper policies, programs, and operations in place. And what's funny about that is the safe third country rule doesn't cost us anything. It costs us no money. The moment you end catch and release, the moment you do that, people will stop coming. And the safe third country rule, it will end catch and release if they implement it properly. And uh, so then that's the question. Do you anticipate that they are going to do that or do you think it was lip service? I, I, it, it strictly depends on how bad they think this issue is going to hurt them going into 24. I think that what he said was lip service when he said that he was going to fill in the gaps in, in Yuma, Arizona. He said that he was going to fill in the gaps in the wall. Um, Governor Ducey sent down containers, filled in those gaps, and then the president forced him to remove those ga- um, those containers. So that was lip service. It was obvious that it was lip service. And, and it's funny that he said he was going to fill in those gaps right before the midterm elections when we know that Arizonans care deeply about this issue. Um, he said that to help a, a, a you know, uh, somebody in his in his party, um, Mark Kelly. Um, so, so I, look, I, I it just depends on how bad he thinks this issue is going to hurt him. If he thinks it's going to hurt him, he shuts it down for a period of time, gets reelected, and then just does what President Obama did and goes horrible on on illegal immigration. It strictly depends how bad does he think this issue is going to hurt him. You mentioned Senator Kelly. Have you had conversations with Senator? Kelly or Senator Cinema about their stance because both of them have been critical have. of the White House. So what have they had to I say? Have. I have. They, they're 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 both both Senator Kelly and, and Senator Cinema have been very good. I was back in 
Washington D.C. just a couple of weeks ago working with senators with Senator Cinema on legislation on this exact issue, the safe third country issue. Um, she was willing to go forward with that legislation, so she has um, actually been looking at what are the solutions. I know that Senator Kelly has also um, been looking at what solutions uh, could be done. It just depends on whether we, whether we actually codify that into law. If we don't get it into law, all it will be is a short term. If it's if it's just a rule that's issued by DHS, that is short term. We have to get it into law. Brandon, it is always good to talk to you, and I hope you'll come back. Yeah, anytime. Thank you. All right, thanks. That's Brandon Judd, President of National Border Patrol Council. Uh, very strong opinions on what we heard from the president, and we'll see what happens um, if those policies are implemented that he says will make a big difference. Coming up in a moment, Phoenix Fire has responded to a record number of calls in 2022. We'll talk public safety coming up in just a few moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, if you think you might have the oldest AC in town, you can win a brand new high-efficiency AC with an air purifier, courtesy of Day and Night Air Conditioning. Just text the word DAY to 411923 to enter right now. Message and data rates may apply. So here's the headline. In 2022, Phoenix firefighters responded to a record-breaking 405,000 calls. It's a record-breaking number. We talked to some people from Phoenix Fire recently this year and how they're down in staffing as well, equipment and other things that we have not grown. Public safety has not grown at the same rate as population, and it's becoming dangerous. Response times, we talk about it with police a lot. Response times matter. When you dial 911, the expectation that someone will be there quickly. And we think automatically, at least I do, I think of a police situation, something dangerous. When there's a medical situation or there is a fire, it is just or maybe even in some cases more critical being in life or death. And this is a a situation about public safety that we talk about quite a bit. And I love where I live. I, I do live in Phoenix. I've been a Phoenician most of the 28 years that I've lived, almost 28 years that I've lived here. And I will tell you that I love it. I love the valley as a whole. I love living in the city of Phoenix. Um, And uh, I just want it to be the best place possible. But people, when they go to the polls, they have expectations of how things are going to be. Over the last few years, the police have taken a beating in the court of public opinion. Not so much with fire and rescue, but public safety as a whole has been, in my opinion, has been somewhat ignored. I think because there, I say this about Phoenix police often, and I'm going to say it a little bit about Phoenix fire as well. They are victims of their own success. I believe that the Phoenix Police Department is one of the most professional agencies in the entire country. I believe that to be true. Um, They are one of the most effective in a major city like Phoenix with the low number of officers that they have. To be able to keep crime down as they have in many cases is truly an accomplishment. But if you look at the number of firefighters and, and rescue crews that we would need to be fully staffed in the city of Phoenix, and yet they do such a good job at what they do, again, victims of their own success. But when you hear them talk about response times climbing, when you hear them saying that response times were approaching 10 minutes, um, I, I, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I, we had a medical emergency in my house when I was married. Um, my former mother-in-law, who has passed away since and was just a, a fantastic woman, um, she was living with us, and she had a stroke in the house. 
And it was one of the scariest moments of my life because we called 911 and we lived close enough to be able to hear the fire to rescue trucks coming when, as they left the firehouse. And they were not very far away, maybe a, a little over a mile at the most. And we, it, it seemed like forever for that rescue to get there. And this was at a time when response times were still very, very low. We live fairly close to the firehouse. Thankfully, there was no other call that they were running, so they were able to come to us from there. And they were able to take very good care of her and get her the medical treatment she needed. But if you ever have a situation like a fire that gets out of control and you have to call the fire department, whatever it is, every second counts. How quickly those fires double in size, how quickly they become out of control. And unless the fire department gets there quickly, you could lose everything when it's a medical emergency. And so for public safety as a whole, and I talk an awful lot about the policing of our societies, we're seeing violent crimes on their increase across the country. We're seeing crime increase. We're seeing the criminals get the edge. There's an argument about prosecution and are they doing a good enough job everywhere in the country and prosecuting crimes. But it also comes down to funding and you could lump all three of those areas into it. And I'm not even talking about the politics of this, but if we don't have enough cops to make arrests and do investigations on cases. And if we don't have the prosecutors and enough prosecutors to prosecute the viable cases to make sure that people understand if you commit crimes against people in our cities, you're going to be caught, you're going to be charged, you're going to be tried, you're going to be found guilty, and you're going to be held accountable. That's the criminal side of it. But the other part of public safety is the fire department and the rescue and the things that they do. And, you know, a lot of us pay a lot in taxes, whether it's property taxes or otherwise. And we hear politicians run on public safety first. And this is both sides of the political aisle, not just one. And they they chase the endorsement of the unions, of the police and fire unions and organizations across the state. Because we all understand if you are police and fire endorsed, you're likely to get a vote from someone who may not have heard of you otherwise. But are we seeing the results in the towns we live in? This isn't just Phoenix, but are we seeing the results in the towns we live in where public safety truly is first, making sure that they're fully funded, fully equipped, fully staffed? 405,000 calls for service last year in the Phoenix Fire Department. I just think we need to take a look at public safety as a whole. We need to make sure that the men and women that do these jobs, we say we respect them, and I think we all do. We admire what they do for a living. We stand behind them when we make sure they're fully funded, fully equipped, and fully staffed by virtue of our vote. That it doesn't matter what political party you're in, that we are going to hold them accountable as that's priority one, public safety. Just an interesting read, this story. It was very fascinating to me. Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk about January 6th. It is the anniversary of January 6th. We're going to look back on that day in just a couple of moments. So please stick around. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you spending some time. Um, I guess it seems appropriate, second anniversary of uh, what happened on January 6th in the Capitol in D.C. It's a mixed bag for a lot of people. Um, I want to talk, I want to wade into this pretty, pretty um, carefully. 
Um, my initial reactions on January 6th when it happened, I was here at the radio station when it happened. Um, we were watching it. And I will tell you that um, trying to hold people accountable in, in our own lives, you know, myself included, I, I, before I start railing against somebody else, I want to make sure I want to let you know that I look at myself in many cases. I look at myself first. It's one of the reasons why I try not to be too judgmental as I realize I got plenty of shortcomings of my own. I got plenty of things. I got to clean up my own backyard before I start looking over your fence. Um And when I looked at what happened on January 6th, I was so disappointed in watching people on my side of the political aisle fighting with the police, uh, hitting them with Trump flags and American flags, and um, a lot of the excuse making that was made in the aftermath. And what I mean by that is it was a horrible thing to see. It should not have happened. Now, let's if we take people at their let's give people every benefit of the doubt just for the sake of this conversation, whether you believe it or not, just hear me out. There were a lot of things that were said about people being let into the Capitol. They were let in that this was almost kind of a setup to let people into the building. Um, I don't know how often any of you go to D.C. or some people just have never visited. And I would say to you, you have to go. You should go when you're a kid, but you should go when you're an adult. You should go to Washington, D.C. You should walk the National Mall. You should walk through the United States Capitol. You should walk through as many of the Smithsonian's you can go to. You should see uh, the Lincoln Memorial for sure, the World War II Memorial, all of the big things. You should see them as Americans. But I will tell you that uh, the two things that strike me when I go to D.C., when I walk into the Capitol Mall, when I walk onto the Capitol Mall, and I've told this story before, you ride the Metro in. And uh, unlike Phoenix, they were smart enough to put it underground there. Um, You ride the metro and you go up this very long escalator and you turn left when you get off the escalator and you're standing there looking at the National Mall. And the Capitol Rotunda is to your right. The Washington Monument is to your left. And beyond that is the reflecting World War II Memorial, the reflecting pool, and way off in the distance is the Lincoln Memorial. It is one of the most breathtaking scenes as an American I've ever seen in my life. And then when you walk into the Capitol building, it's almost like walking into a church. Same thing with the the Lincoln Memorial. It's pretty amazing to walk into those buildings because everybody is so subdued. Nobody is telling you to shush. There are not signs up telling you to be quiet. But you don't hear a lot of boisterous activity when you're in those buildings. They are they are buildings that are very honored. Um the Lincoln Memorial, it was fascinating to stand in Lincoln Memorial and listen to people uh, speaking different languages from all over the world just taking in the view of that memorial. But inside the Capitol Rotunda and looking at the portraits and looking at the history, um, it's hard for me to ever walk in that building, Statuary Hall with the medallions in the floor and, and all the history of that building without being overcome with patriotism. So I don't care what political – Uh, leanings you have the people that would go into that building and damage it now as far as insurrection goes in a government takeover and if some people had plans the majority of the people that were in there that did damage were just people acting like complete idiots um you know, you're you are somebody wearing a, a loincloth and a and a and a headdress and your face painted, and you got your feet up on the speaker's desk and you're shouting uh, the things at the vice president and leaving notes and was steal. Somebody stole a laptop and they took the speaker's podium and they did damage. 
um, it was it was a despicable thing. I mean, you're you're desecrating what is Americanism. Now, there is an element of politics that plays into this. I would say that, that, again, people overplay their hands, that at some point, you know, putting up a fence around that Capitol building for months and months and months with thousands of National Guard troops armed to the teeth, completely unnecessary, I believe. But uh, that group of people brought it on themselves by letting their tempers get away from them. I don't know what they aimed to accomplish that day. I don't know what they thought that action was going to accomplish because whatever it is, it's the opposite of what they should have wanted to do. They weren't going to overtake the government. They weren't going to stop the election certification process. They certainly weren't getting people rallying to their cause by behaving the way they did. And I'm somebody, as I've said before, I'm very honest about the things that I do. Um, I voted for Donald Trump twice. Thought he was a much better candidate than Hillary Clinton, and I thought he was a much better candidate than Joe Biden. But when you see what happened that day, when you see people that you're aligned with politically, I voted for the same guy they did. Um, When you see them getting into a physical altercation with police officers, five people died that day. Um, There is no excuse. There is no they let us in. It was a setup. I can tell you this um, with with all candor. Um, If I would have been there that day, I wouldn't have gone into that building. And I would never go into the United States Capitol and even raise my voice, never mind raise my hand. Never. Um, And that's the issue here. More than anything else, that's the issue. Why would you desecrate that building? Why would what were you what were you aiming to accomplish again? um, I've said this about Martin Luther King Jr. in believing that when it came to the civil rights movement, he typified the saying that the mission was bigger than the man. And it wasn't because he lost his life. It's the way he kind of lived it. The mission was bigger than the man. And when you're involved in a cause and I'm involved in many of them, it doesn't have to be a political protest. It could be good things. It could be good things. When the mission is bigger than you are, people see it. Um, you know, I can think of a lot of organizations. I talk about St. Mary's Food Bank and the great people there. When you go to St. Mary's Food Bank, you realize the mission is bigger than the people involved. Same with St. Vincent de Paul. When you go there, the mission is bigger than the people that are there. They, they see the mission is bigger than them. None of them would want to do anything that damaged or hindered the mission that they have. The 100 Club of Arizona. Their president and CEO was Angela Harrell, um, a, a woman who is also a survivor. Her husband was a trooper that was killed, and she started out as a volunteer. But when you meet her and you hear her, you go in public and you hear her speak about that organization, it's very obvious that the mission is bigger than the person. So on that day, the mission wasn't bigger than the people. As a matter of fact, the people's emotions got the best of them, and they damaged the reputation of a lot of people that stayed outside of that building that day. There were so many people wearing MAGA hats and waving Trump flags and American flags and the Gadsden flags that stayed outside of the United States Capitol, that didn't desecrate that building, that didn't damage that property, that are always going to be tainted because they were there the day that those people that went in did it. And that, to me, is a shame. So when I think about the the date of January 6th, I think about how sick I was in my stomach when I saw people that I would say I aligned myself with politically behaving so badly in a building that I actually get tears in my eyes when I walk into.
I want to visit D.C. as often as I can, but I never want to go so often that I lose that sense of wonder when I walk into those buildings. Because for all the flaws that we see in politicians, those buildings stand for a lot more outside of our country uh, than we know. And it's a shame. What happened on January 6th was an absolute shame in this country, and I hope it's never repeated. Coming up in a moment, um, a death row inmate in Arizona withdraws his request to be executed. I'm going to tell you why, and I ask the question, should we get rid of the death penalty? We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I got a great reminder for you. Christmas through New Year's Day is the lowest week of the year for blood donations, and January is the highest blood usage month of the year for patients. So please consider making a blood donation on Sunday, January 8th at Vitalant's Saving Arizona Blood Drive. Schedule your appointment right now by going to vitalant.org slash saveaz. That's vitalant.org slash Save AZ. Um, I just found this story to be interesting. Uh, I, I think we get things wrong sometimes, and this is one of them, and it's the death penalty and the way we do it. Uh, there is a death penalty, a death row inmate named Aaron Gunches, who is, who has asked to be executed and is rescinding that that request because he says that in the injection process for lethal injection is torturous. Um, that I'm going to tell you about the absurdity of how what we do with the death penalty. I am not a uh, I'm not a blood and guts person. I'm not someone that has got a bloodlust or a thirst for it. I don't think we should publicly hang people, and I don't think we should make a spectacle of it. I don't think we should torture people. But if we are going to have the death penalty, then we have to acknowledge what we're doing, and we also have to always keep in mind the victims. Now, this guy in 2002. Murdered a guy that used to date his girlfriend, a longtime boyfriend of his ex-girlfriend. Took him into the in the desert off the Beeline Highway and shot him multiple times. He pled guilty to kidnapping and first-degree murder in 2004. He was uh, he consistently waived his right to counsel, mitigation, and post-conviction litigation. And a former Attorney General Mark Burnovich responded with his own request for Gunch's execution warrant. And now this guy is saying that it's torturous to to get the injection. We have spent so much time as people. People trying to um, to waive our guilt in taking a human life that what we've done is we, in my opinion, we're putting the victim's family through so much more. This guy was convicted in 2004, almost 20 years ago, and he pled guilty. Almost 20 years on death row, having pled guilty, denied counsel, denied appeals, denied – he didn't want any help. He didn't want anybody to do anything, but he wanted to be killed. He wanted to be, he wanted to be executed for what he did. And it's been almost 20 years. So what happens to the people that exhaust the appeals process? And what happens to the victims, the survivors of the victims? What happens to their families when they have to go year after year – Decade after decade, and they hear about the appeals. They're notified when the appeals are coming up. We're notified when there's a hearing. They're notified when there's a disposition on that hearing and when the steps go through with it. So this wound continues to be open for family members so that we can somehow um, lessen our guilt for taking a human life. And if we're going to feel that guilty about doing it, then maybe we shouldn't do it anymore. 
Now, I am not I am not anti-death penalty, and anybody that's pro-death penalty, it, it's just an awkward thing to say. I will say the capital punishment doesn't bother me if it's done the right way, and I'm not talking about torture. I'm saying if you're convicted of a crime, if there's eyewitnesses to the crime, whatever the circumstances are where there's no doubt in anyone's mind that you are the person that committed that crime, it should be done a lot more quickly than it's done for the sake of the victim's families. Otherwise, you throw them in a cell, you lock them away for the rest of their lives, and no one has to think about them again. And the other absurdity I'll tell you about when it comes to the death penalty is the process of of a last meal. The idea that someone that has committed such a heinous act that we would take their life, they would judge them, condemn them to death. And what we're going to do is make their last meal whatever they want. And the citizens and the taxpayers, including usually the victim's family members that are taxpayers, are going to pay to have this person have a, a, a meal of their choice. Doesn't do anything for them. They're still going to be put to death. But it certainly does you know, kind of lessen the guilt for the people that are inducing the or install, you know, putting in the injection, putting in the needle. I, I just I don't understand any of it. I'm not. Um, I think people are redeemable. I think all of that. I don't have a bloodlust. I don't. But when you commit a heinous crime and the laws of the state say that you're subject to execution, then we should continue to think of the victims' families. It shouldn't take 20 years. If we're going to, to, to carry out someone's sentence, shouldn't take 20 years for someone that has pled guilty and said they did it from the very beginning. And yet here we are, almost 20 years later. So honestly, if we, we should look at this as citizens for what's best for society as a whole and what's best for the survivors, especially the survivors of the victim. Because those wounds will never be healed. I always say the pain of a loss like that, it never gets easier. It just gets easier to deal with. But when you continue to open that wound, you know, because a trial is brutal. I mean, when all the details of a murder come out, they have to in order to get the jury to convict. And when you listen to and you hear how somebody died and what happened and details and sometimes there's pictures and that's a horrific thing to go through. And then after that, the appeals process and to hear what happened and rehash things. You know, so are we just trying to um, get rid of our own guilt for taking a human life and at the same time dragging victims' families for 20-plus years when someone has committed a heinous crime? What I don't know. I, I'll be honest. I don't know what the solution is. I've always – I've been in favor of capital punishment. I didn't, and what I mean by that is I didn't have an issue with us having capital punishment. If you're going to take somebody's life, if you're going to commit, commit a heinous crime like that, then you should be held accountable and give up your life as well. I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. The way we're doing it to try to stop our guilt from actually taking a human life, if we feel that guilty as a society about it, then maybe we should stop. Maybe we shouldn't do it anymore. And it's just a, it's an interesting look. Somebody that sit on death row for almost 20 years when he admitted to it and asked to be executed years ago. It's interesting. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, we're going to shift to the economy. There are now 11 signs in that we are at the tipping point of our economy. What can we expect in the year of 2023? Are we going to slip into a recession? Are we going to see a dramatic slowing of our economy? Or are we going to see us avoid a recession and carry on with a very, very strong economy? That's what the question is. We're going to talk about that coming up and so much more in the next hour.